Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse, and I'm very excited today to bring Jerry Mishler, who's the founder and owner of Action Pet Express at actionpetexpress.com. He has been in the business of moving pets around the United States and around the world for over 40 years. He says since 1969, he is an experienced professional and is going to really open up our thinking about how we treat and handle our beloved pets when we want to move from one place to the other. He's going to explain some of the myths in pet moving and some of the things that are going on with regard to the abuses of pet moving, the way that you need to be thinking about it. And I'm just delighted to have him here. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Jerry Mishler to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for being with us, Jerry. As I read your site, I was shocked to find out that there is a distinction in the industry having to do with if you put your pets in cargo versus in baggage. First, I'd like you to explain the distinction, and I can't believe how much money it is to move our pets. Talk a little bit about it. Essentially, there's three ways. One is carry-on. That is, the airlines will allow a very small pet to go into the cabin, and uh, that's up to the airline, and on international travel, it also has something to do with the country's requirements. Uh, the next uh, type is excess baggage, which is checked baggage. That's when you take the pet to the ticket counter, and he's checked in uh, that way. It usually does not go against your so-called free allowance, if that even exists anymore. You do pay separately for pets. Some airlines have a restriction of a certain amount of pounds or size of shipping crate for that. Uh, excess baggage requires a passenger to be on board. Uh, then, then there's cargo, which is by far the most expensive way of doing that. Uh, pets that travel in cargo and pets that travel as excess baggage travel in the very same compartment of the cargo hold of the plane, of course, is pressurized and uh, temperature controlled, same temperature as the passenger cabin. The only difference is that the tariff charge, the, the excess baggage, is much cheaper. Uh, as cargo, essentially, the airlines are, the uh, reason it's kind of expensive is that they're selling, the airlines are selling space. That's why they're interested in the size of the shipping container. They're selling space in the cargo hold, and that's how they make their money. So uh, there are some countries in the world that require the pets to arrive only as cargo, even if the passengers on board. The United Kingdom is one. Uh, South Africa is another. Uh, United Arab Emirates, another country, Australia, New Zealand, they all require pets to arrive only as cargo, even though they have met all the necessary requirements for entry into the country. Now it's time for me to take a swig of my green tea. <laughs> I was on a flight. I just want to share this with you while you're having your tea, and then we'll go back to that. I was on a flight, a Swiss Air flight, from Zurich to London, on my way back from Switzerland to England and then back to the United States. 
they practically shut off all of the air in our part of the cabin, okay? I could barely breathe. I mean, I literally had to tell the guy, look, could you guys turn on some air? It was as if everybody was falling asleep. They literally shut the air off, okay? And I've heard of stories, of course, this is over many years of my life, of animals dying and being mistreated in the cargo area and just on planes that airlines really don't like to transport animals. They don't really want to. And a lot of animals die because of mistreatment or whatever. Can you also dispel some of the myths about that? Well, that is totally wrong. They are not mistreated in any in any way, shape or form. Uh, I don't know how they could be mistreated. That's just that's just totally insane. Uh, I hear this all the time. I ask people to document this. I, they'll tell me I hear dogs dying and this type of thing. The uh, there there's some risk risk involved uh, if you have an elderly pet or if you have a pet that's got medical problems. It could be a young pet. It could have heart murmurs or things of that nature. It, the owners sometimes know about it and still ship. In other cases, the owners do not know, and they ship. The flat-faced brachycephalic animals are at a higher risk. I have on my website, on page 5, details as to how to handle these kind of pets, the flat-faced dogs and cats, and uh, some of my suggestions are do not feed these animals for at least 15 hours before flight time and people are shocked to hear that so then i have to go into detail and tell them that when there is a problem it usually is that the pet vomits and chokes on their vomitus and especially these particular breeds are more susceptible to this and that's where a danger zone appears and Animals can go days without food, so 15 hours before flight time is really not a problem. So just follow those instructions. But elderly pets, so when they when they do uh, an autopsy on a deceased pet, and with animals they call that a necropsy, uh, it's it's all, the findings are always it's never something where the airline shuts off the air, that type of thing. I've never heard of that happening. I don't know what you went through on your Swiss air flight, but I just never heard of that type of thing. But the pilots are always aware of when they have live animals on board, and uh, uh, airlines uh, are delighted to take animals because they make they make money on this whole situation. So. Uh, I, I just don't understand. It's the best I can address that issue. I know that some of the American airline companies, not American airlines, but American airline companies have had some bad press about it. And so it's just out there. I mean, I'm sure that there's a certain statistical percentage of animals that are, like you said, they're elderly, they have medical problems, or were fed too close to the flight and didn't have a 15-hour before the flight protocol and got sick and died. I would imagine it would be a high-stress event for them. See, the baggage in the cargo area, I don't understand the distinction. Can you make that distinction for us? There is a compartment for, for the airlines that do carry pets. They have a, a, a certain, not real large, but a certain compartment that's designed just for live animals. No baggage goes in there. It's just live animals go in there, and it is pressurized and temperature controlled. 
and airlines, all the airlines that carry pets, which are almost all the international carriers, yes, plus United and American and Delta, they 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 have that. There are some of the American airlines that don't carry pets as cargo or excess baggage, such as Southwest and JetBlue, will carry one small pet in the cabin, the carry-on, and of course they're right with the owners, so they're breathing the same air as that. What the reasons for not carrying pets as excess baggage or cargo, I do not know. That's that's I, I can't I can't address that. I don't know why, because the other airlines that do carry a lot of pets and make good money off of it. I just I don't know what the reason for that is. When I started to look at the prices of what it takes to ship a pet from point A to point B, thousands upon thousands of dollars in the industry, they charge a fortune. I can't believe how much money. Okay, is. let me address that. The actual cargo charge, what the airline charges, are very, very minimal. When you experience the high charges, and I address this all through my website, is when you use a pet shipper. Not myself, but most of the other pet shippers, and most of the pet shippers belong to the organization called IPATA, I-P-A-T-A, and it's their fees that are so very expensive. Ex- exorbitant fees and everything. And I address this on my website and everything. I don't want to go to a lot of detail here on uh, on this program. Well, I do want you to go into... I do, are. Jerry, I do want you to go into enough detail so that my audience can get what the distinction is. I mean, just a sense of it. For instance, if a person... Uh, wants to ship, uh, say, a small dog or a cat on United Airlines, let's say from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles. Uh, the actual charge, the airline charge is approximately $250. United Airlines bases their, their fees on the actual weight of the pet and kennel. If you use a pet shipper other than myself, in the Washington D.C. area, it's it's quite common to have to pay as much as a thousand or maybe fifteen hundred dollars for a pet shipper to do this, and they uh, they have a lot of uh, hype on their website when they talk to you. They want door to door service, this, that, and everything. Most pet shippers will not itemize. I I insist that uh, people should. I have the pet shippers itemized totally, even all mechanics and lawyers and everyone else will itemize their charges. You know you're going to pay big fees, but you'd like to know what you're paying for and everything. And, uh, uh, and then when it comes to what they call the third-party pet shipper, which is the middleman, there are several, oh, I don't want to mention names here on the program, uh, but they are mentioned, named on my website. And uh, they, uh, if you use a middleman, uh, the purpose of using a middleman, I don't really know, but people think that if they just make one phone call, tell a middleman, third-party shipper, what they need to have done, they will arrange for everything. So they will arrange for door-to-door service, and they increase the fees and the whole thing. So that's that's why it's very expensive. Well, is there such a thing called door-to-door service? Yes. Door-to-door service is that a pet shipper will pick up the pet at your house, take it to the airport, 
And then when the dog arrives, or dog or cat arrives at the destination, another pet shipper at that point picks up the pet and delivers it to the residence of the kennel. And uh, if you have a third-party shipper set this up, what they do, they will call somebody, say, in Washington, D.C. They do not call me because they don't like me and because of my lower prices. But they, they will call a pet shipper in the D.C. area where the, the owner could have called themselves and had a lower price for the very same service. And the same thing in Los Angeles, that that's where they're going. And uh, the third-party shipper will contact someone in the, in the Los Angeles area that they work with for the pickup at the airport and the delivery. And I state on my website, I advise people that you could call the pet shipper at both, at both ends yourself and save yourself sometimes as much as two or $3,000 by just dealing with a pet shipper who's going to have hands-on as opposed to having a middleman set the whole thing up. That's very, very helpful. I was pretty shocked to hear that many people shipping their dogs don't have the right type of crates, don't have the right type of facilities for the animal. Talk a little bit about that. Well, there's no excuse for that. If you use a pet shipper, no matter what pet shipper, they're going to double check to make sure you got the right size kennel. Well, there's people who do try to make their own arrangements and uh, they'll go to the pet store and many of the ship uh, plastic shipping containers that are there will have labels on saying they're IARA approved. That's the International Air Transport Association. So people will think, oh, well, this kennel is fine and dandy. They'll buy it because the, the sale, the clerks at the pet stores have no clue as to what's required. Uh, pets have to be able to stand up with their heads way up in the air, nose forward, and have close to three inches clearance from the top of the head, or if they got pointed ears from the tip of their ears, uh, need about close to three inches clearance to the height of the shipping container. And people don't realize this, and they'll show up at the airport themselves sometimes, the airline will tell them that the kennel's too small, and that's the type of, one of the more common situations, more and more of the airlines are requiring uh, that the uh, shipping containers be held together with nuts and bolts. Uh, there are kennels that are made of old plastic, twisty things and flip-flop things. And it's, it's those kind of kennels that the items can come loose and uh, ultimately an animal can escape from them. That's the purpose of having the nuts and bolts. And I have clearly marked on my website that I will not... Uh, when I'm involved, I will not accept a shipping container that's not held together by nuts and bolts. I carry a drill, so if we have the time and everything at the residence, if this has not been clarified in advance, and I have to drill holes and put nuts and bolts in. And I, I mean, when people call me, I go over in great detail these items, but that's, that's some of the situations. Plus the fact that on international flights, the air of a shipping container needs to have air holes on the far end as well. It's not required for domestic travel. I don't know why, because it really should, animals should have air ventilation on all four sides, but those are the, those are the common things that, where the kennels are not acceptable. Are there certain kennels that you recommend? Well, there are certain brands. Uh, Petmate 
is the largest manufacturer of shipping containers. Uh, all pet stores usually have have pet made kennels. Pet made also makes them cheaper, smaller kennels are designed more for, for taking a small pet to the veterinarian or the boarding kennel, the groomer, and so forth. And these are quite often not acceptable. Uh, but pet based largest manufacturer, there's a couple others that are real good. The one's called Bargain Hound. Another one is called Great Choice, and Great is spelled deliberately with two R's, G-R-R-E-A-T. And uh, I know that uh, PetSmart stores usually handle all these kennels and everything. I don't know about Petco. PetSmart is usually a lot cheaper than Petco. What about for cats? Same recommendations? Well, essentially the same thing, same thing for cats. Let's talk a little bit about recommendations when people are traveling internationally and they get to the country of their destination. What is the best suggestion for what to do with the animals? Well, that's kind of a tough one to answer. They're going to be thirsty or hungry or something, right? Definitely hungry. Really, you should wait till you get to your hotel or residence or wherever you're going and just gradually feed them a small meal to begin with until they become acclimated to their jet lag and that type of situation. People just tend to overfeed their animals anyway, just like they do our, we do ourselves and everything. So I, I, I would not worry about the food situation at what all. What about water? The drinking water situation is a far more important thing. Is good advice for people as well when you travel. Now, my dogs, I've got two miniature schnauzers, and my dogs and my myself, we just drink bottled drinking water. And uh, if you travel domestically or worldwide, you should you should definitely just use bottled water, and especially in many of the foreign countries. Though the water is not potable, it's not uh, uh, good for drinking. You should drink uh, bottled uh, bottled not the not the fizzle stop type of stuff, but just regular drinking water anyway. Otherwise, you get tremendous tummy uh, stresses. Do you have airlines that you favor in your business, or you can't really say? Well, I guess I can say I, uh, for international travel as much as possible, I use Lufthansa, the German airline. KLM is a fine airline, although we have problems booking with them. Uh, uh, British Air is fine. I often use British Air. They tend to be a little bit more expensive, but... Uh, uh, those three airlines, uh, and they go um, uh, between the three of them. They go almost every place in the world, so that's why I uh, I favor using them. Even uh, they, they between the three of them, they they go just about any place you could possibly ship a pet. Now I understand there's something called a pet passport, and that you highly recommend having the paperwork that's in a pet passport. Is that true? Let me clarify that. The pet passport is actually a little, a little pet passport that's uh, similar to a human passport. And I think you could have a picture of your pet in the thing. Uh, these pet passports are issued only by European Union veterinarians, the only place in the world that has the official pet passport. So you have to wait till you actually get to the European Union. There's some... 
I don't know right now, I think there's something like 27 or 28 countries that are members. There are several other countries who have applied for membership. I forget just how many. But let's say there's 28 countries. That includes uh, England and, uh, and, and Southern Ireland. And, you know, Germany, France, all the European countries. Spain? Does not include Russia at this time anyway. How about Spain? And, uh, you cannot get the pet passport until you arrive in the European Union. There's no rush on that because the paperwork that you receive, that you get here to allow your pet to enter the European Union is all that you need really for pet travel. And you can, at, at, at your own Ability, you can just once you're there, go to to a veterinarian. Any European veterinarian can issue the pet passport. It's just that everything is nice and combined. I have on my website, and I we have a there's a company down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida called Pet Travel Store, who claims that they have pet passports for all over the world, and that is an absolute total, absolute total ripoff because you pay for paperwork that is totally free. Everything that they have, you can download on the internet for free, or you get it from your veterinarian or from the USDA office, and so I go after that and everything. But the pet passport, as such, is only issued in the European Union. For Europe, in your experience, do animals have to have more than a rabies shot? Well, of course, it's always highly recommended that Pets have all vaccinations. Right, but if a pet owner is not a vaccinator due to their own research, what is the minimal requirements? Well, generally for travel purposes, uh, uh, it's only the rabies that generally is required. I think there are there are a handful of countries that actually require all the stemper and all the other vaccinations. For most countries in the world, they don't. They recommend it, but they don't require it. Rabies being a disease that can affect humans is the reason they're primarily concerned with sure. uh, rabies, uh, for rabies control. The other uh, vaccinations are just simply for your own pet's welfare, and they don't seem to be that concerned. That's, they leave that up to the pet owner. It'd be very foolish to spend all this kind of money for pet travel and everything, and not make sure that the pet is totally vaccinated. Well, you're talking to somebody who's done quite a bit of research in this area, so well, we're not going to go through this on this particular interview, but you can certainly listen to the other interviews I've done on vaccinations uh-huh. uh, and the science of vaccinations and the politics of vaccinations and what's really going on with vaccinations. But I just wanted to ask you that about the pet part. Uh-huh. What about the RFID chips? I understand there's different types of chips for animals that are traveling internationally. Uh, the one they recommend is the one I have on my website. I forget the number of it and everything. Uh, that's the one that's generally recommended. But m- most major airports and even sub-major airports will have scanners that can read all all uh, microchips. Uh, uh, it's probably safer to have the 15-digit uh, international microchip just to be on the safe side and everything. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The Declaration of a National and International Water Crisis is a declaration about water that comes directly from snowmelt and rainfall. It has nothing to do with the water 
that exists below your feet, underground, into faulted structures all over the world. I want you to know that there is an unlimited supply of available fresh water everywhere on Earth, including the deserts. For over 100 years, teams of people have been locating water for private people. The reason you haven't heard of it is that it is not part of the mainstream orthodoxy of geology that's taught at universities. When you think about people and animals in developing nations having to walk miles to bring back a bucket of water, I want you to know that that is an unacceptable atrocity. Nobody should have to go through that. I've made a commitment to make water available to sophisticated investors and people in need across the world and to make commercial applications available for water in the United States and abroad. There's only a water crisis as it relates to snowmelt and rainfall, not having to do with the third source of water, which is below our feet. If you are a sophisticated investor or a farmer that would be interested in having your own water supply that is independent of the aquifers, feel free to call It's Rainmaking Time. The good news is that there's plenty of water everywhere for anybody and any animal on planet Earth that needs it. Thank you very much. And back to the show. What is your experience, Jerry, with land travel and animals? I have an issue with the way a lot of animals are transported, including animals that many people eat, you know, on long, 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 highly... road trips? Road trips or sometimes the way animals are transported. You do land transport too, right? Up to a distance, Larry, say I go roughly maybe as much as 400 miles radius of Washington, D.C., uh, but I don't do a long, long distance over the road type of thing where you have several families, pets, dogs and cats and everything else all in one vehicle. That's a whole separate kind of business. And what I have, I advise people if they need that or want that, just to Google for uh, words like door-to-door, pet transportation, and over-the-road pet transportation. There are dozens of companies that specialize in that. That's a whole different ballgame than what I have. When I, the trips that I make are always just one family's set of pets. And the reason that happens sometimes is uh, usually international travel where pets will ship or arrive in, in very large shipping containers. And the airplanes that go to some of these distant towns or cities uh, are smaller and can accommodate the larger kennels, and that's the only way we get the pets to or from some of those places. Uh, and uh, in a case like that, usually I could I could make the trip within six to eight hours one way, generally speaking. When you usually do a road trip like that, do you stop every couple hours and let the animals? Let stop at least once. Really, if the pets are arriving from Europe or arriving from overseas, we exercise them at the airport, and uh, and then depending on where we're going, what we're doing and everything, probably at least once. But we don't feed them or anything. We give them a little bit of water, so they probably don't really need a bunch of stops. It just depends if there's any special needs. Cats are sort of a problem, obviously, because you don't usually take a cat out for a walk. Right. And if I can... Uh, if the cats arrive in a small shipping container, I'll 
put them into a larger container. I do all that within my van, but the doors all closed, so there's no way to escape. And take the cats out of their smaller containers and put them into a empty, larger shipping container that belongs to me, and I'll have a litter box in there for them and everything like that. So that's how we accommodate that kind of situation. Interesting. Very interesting. What has been the toughest part of your job in all of these years? You've been at it 45 years minimum, right? What's the toughest part of your job? Well, the toughest part of my job, and I think most pet shippers will probably say the same thing, will be dealing with the owners, the people, the humans. Because they're nervous and anxious? Nervous and some people know a little bit or have a little bit of knowledge of the whole thing. A little bit of knowledge sometimes can be dangerous, and we have to try to convince people that whatever we're doing is safe and sound and uh, that type of thing. And uh, obviously, if somebody wants to take a pet overseas, and much of our business is international travel, there, there is no alternative. You want to take your pet, they've got to go by air, and that's it, period. Once in a while, somebody says, well, can we charter our own airplane well if you have about a half a million dollars i guess you can well what about ships remember we talked about that in the old days you used to be able to get on a ship with your animal but they had the transoceanic trips in fact i took my own dog and my car on the, the ship the united states from new york to bremerhaven many 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 years ago when when there still were all these ships sailing back and forth they had kennels on the ships and everything, and then there were ships that went to other parts of the world as well that you could transport your pets that way. That is pretty well gone now. The only ships that do that anymore are a couple of the, the queens of the, of the Cunard steamship line. They have uh, some sailings from New York to England, and some of the, some of the ships... Uh, uh, make a stop in France and Germany sometimes. Uh, I think these uh, sailings are usually during the summer months because the rest of the year the ships are doing cruises. They have a huge waiting list, but uh, if uh, if you want to take a uh, take a pet, but the kennel space is very small and limited, very limited. So if you have a large dog, it's almost impossible. But if you Interest that type of thing, you gotta check check with canard lines directly and do it that way. But for all practical purposes, uh ship sailings are, are not what they used to be. In the old days they had passenger uh, freighters and things like that. I don't think they have those anymore. If they do they're very, very, very rare. So for all practical purposes, uh people if they're gonna do an international trip, they're really gonna have to do air. If it's down to Mexico or Central or South America, it is feasible to drive down there, but uh, with all the drug and criminal activity that goes on and rough roads and things, and going to and through different countries, I don't think it's probably very recommended. I was also thinking it would be rough for animals getting seasick on the ship. What do you think? Well, no, they're all stabilized. Uh, no, my my dog and any of the other dogs and cats that were on the ship and my dog that I was on didn't uh, didn't get seasick. It's all they're all stabilized. And she, we took the ship over. We took the ship back. The 
Well, and the Dutch ship to Rotterdam, we brought that back. And then she sailed again uh, on another ship from Hawaii to the West Coast in back, uh, let's way back in 1967. I hate to tell you how old I am. But anyway, uh, uh, there, uh, there was a couple uh, presidential ships. The, you know, there was the Wilson and I think the Cleveland. But you'd have to be pretty much an old-timer to remember those ships that sailed between the West Coast and Hawaii. You know, that was great travel and everything. But they they, they didn't get sick on, on those ships at all. Maybe in the old, old days before it got stabilized and more people got seasick, some pets might get seasick and everything, but uh, pretty doubtful. What got you into this business? And what were you doing before this? Well, I was kind of bumming around. I was living in San Francisco at the time, and just uh, some different things happened all at once and everything, and I just got the idea. I I started I started the business as a pet taxi ambulance service in San Francisco, and it led into the uh, air shipping. But I started off the taxi ambulance, and I uh, found that uh, it looked like there was a need for, especially in a city like San Francisco, which is sure. very uh, uh, orientated toward uh, public transportation. People would often, uh, uh, many people didn't want to drive to work or anything. Uh, you have to know San Francisco to understand. Right. I know San Francisco pretty well, and I actually went to school at Berkeley in my youth. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, and, I was in San Francisco, and many people had to go to work early, like the stock, people that worked at the stock exchange, they had real early hours to the point they opened up in New York around, was it, 9.30 in the morning, so that means about the people on the West Coast had to be ready by 6.30, so in other words, a lot of people had to be at work whether they did early in the morning. Sometimes they didn't get home till late in the afternoon or early evening. So what I would do is, let's say the dog or cat needed to go to the veterinarian for vaccinations. I'd just pick up the pets from the people in the morning before they went to work, take the pet to the vet, leave them there all day, got their vaccination, just boarded them there at the hospital all day, pick them up at a given time and re-deliver them to their home. And that worked out real. A lot of people, um, there wasn't a really a decent boarding kennel in San Francisco. Most of the kennels were over in Marin County. And so I had a big business of taking pets to the boarding kennels in Marin County. A lot of people just didn't have the cars. They relied on public transportation for their own needs and everything. And then that type of thing. And then... Uh, 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 that kind of led, there, there was a, a pet shipper located at the San Francisco airport, and I came across, across them one day, I don't remember just how it happened or anything, and I was a little afraid to go into the shipping business, and then I went ahead and tried it once, found it was very easy, I had a, seemed to be okay for me, and so I just went into it, even though I had a competitor that was already in the business there. It just kind of happened, I can't really... You know, this is over 45 years ago, and my mind doesn't go back clearly all that time. You know, you write a lot about watching out for third-party shippers, since really it sounds like an industry within the pet travel industry and relocation industry. My question to you is, you do not refer to yourself as a third-party pet shipper. Tell me the difference. 
You're not a traditional third-party shipper. You're a facilitator, when right? When someone calls me, let's say they have a pet, and they live in Los Angeles, and they want to ship the pet to Seattle. And they call me. So I tell them how they can do it themselves. Uh, if they're able to go to the airport themselves and have somebody in Seattle pick up the pet, that's by far the cheapest way. It's very simple. All they have to do is contact United Airlines or Alaska Airlines. They both have direct flights, nonstop flights between, let's say, Seattle and Los Angeles. If they cannot do it themselves, if they're homebound or some reason they can't go to the airport, then what I do, refer them to, I'm forced to refer them to the iPoda website. And I tell them there's maybe close to a dozen pet shippers in Los Angeles. So I refer them to that page. I said, just contact the pet shippers in Los Angeles, get the best price, find out how they treat you on the phone, and in your own mind, make a decision. Then in Seattle, if somebody cannot pick up, there's a pet shipper up in Seattle, and I refer them to that. So in other words, my philosophy is you can do a lot better job if you contact a pet shipper both at the end, the shipping end and the receiving end. The third-party shipper, who I could be, if I was a third-party shipper, I would say, yes, I can take care of all this for you. I get the information, and I would contact somebody in Los Angeles to, to do a house pickup into the airport. I would also contact the pet shipper in Seattle and do that, and then I would up the fee. So the people would probably end up paying three or $4,000 more than they needed to. Sounded like a big figure, but it's true. Wow, that's pretty... Third-party shipper, a middleman, and they try to make it sound like this way you only have to make one phone call, we'll do everything for you. Well, that, in a way, that might be true, but you're paying maybe three or $4,000, at least uh, $2,000. The international flights, uh, shipments, they charge more uh, because someone like to point it, make you think that it's so complicated. I don't know, I find it very easy, and I just can't, I can't charge that, those kind of fees myself, that's period. So if anyone has any doubts, all they have to do is make a phone call, send some emails, and they'll find out what I'm saying is true. On international flights, like I'm going to be going to Europe and will want to take my dog and my cat later this summer. My understanding is that when you're flying a lot of hours long distance, is it good to stop somewhere and like take the animals out? Or what's the best way for the animal to go? Well, to be honest with you, I'm going to Europe, of course, is, a, is, is not the longest trip. Probably the very longest trip there is is from the West Coast to uh, Australia or New Zealand. And they, have to be, they are nonstop flights, direct flights. The pets are actually in the shipping containers without any attention or anything for over 20 hours. That's terrible. The flight's not quite that long, but the fact that you have to... Check them in for international flights. Generally, the rule is having to check them in as much as four hours in advance, at least at least three hours in advance. And then, by the, when they get to the final destination, it could be anywhere from two to four hours before the pets are released. Once they go through customs or into quarantine or whatever the situation is, best advice I can give is again 
do not feed them for 12 to 15 hours before flight. Give them just a little bit of water. That eases them the best you possibly can. But they, unless they have a medical problem or anything, if they have a medical problem where they need to have water every couple of hours, the, the only answer to that is do not ship them. But uh, going to Europe and everything, there's, there's really no problem. Uh, if you're going... If you're going to make a stop in Europe and then make a connection and go onward to another city, which is often the case, well, you take them as excess baggage. If you're on the same flight and want to make a quick connection, there's really no opportunity. You're not going to be able to see the pet. The airline, if it's the same airline, the airline will make the transfer. Usually, if it's from one airline to another, you're going to be responsible for making the transfer from one airline to the other, from one, from one baggage claim office to the ticket counter of the outgoing thing. And you might have a chance. Some, some of the bigger airports have places still within the secured area. Uh, so you don't have to try and clear customs because that's another whole ball game. If you have to clear customs and all that stuff, and then go back and ship or further ship them there, that that's, that that would be a very bad thing. Is you can avoid that. When they go as cargo, usually uh, the airlines can require as much as six to eight hours for a connection, even though it's the same airline. Then they'll take the pet to the animal facility, the three airlines that I mentioned to you before, Lufthansa, KOM, and British Air, all have real world-famous uh, animal facilities to take the pet, where they're taken out, exercised, watered, and, and, and everything, and so uh, they're well taken care of that way. That's great. Let's talk just for a few minutes about quarantine. Now, it used to be years and years ago that if you brought an animal to Europe, it was in quarantine, I don't know, a month or six months? What was it years ago? Do you remember? Well, I'm not sure there ever was a quarantine in Europe. When I took my dog uh, to Europe in 1966, there was no quarantine. I just had the health certificate and proper rabies certificate. Now, at that time, up to a couple years ago, it was only the... Uh, uh, United Kingdom and Ireland had the quarantine. I believe maybe in Sweden and possibly Finland may have had quarantine time at, at, at that time as well. But essentially for all of Europe, there was no quarantine. At one time, uh, the quarantine for the United Kingdom was, uh, was six months. And the only way to do that, you had to ship your pet to England I had to go into a quarantine kennel for six months. There was no other way. Then, a few years ago, they changed it, which they would allow uh, with, prop with some blood laboratory work, some blood rabies titer tests and everything that you could do what they would call an in-home quarantine here in the United States. That did not mean that you had to do it, keep your dog in your residence. It just in-home was just a sort of generic term used to, that way, as long as you met the blood tire results and everything, then you could ship them to England, and they were available uh, for you to go on. Now, a couple of years ago, the United Kingdom and, and Ireland, not, uh, Northern Ireland, of course, is part of the United Kingdom, Southern Ireland and England and Scotland, of course, uh, changed the rules, and they adopted the same policies as the rest of the European Union coming from the United States and other countries that they consider 
second-class countries, which means that the countries are known to have rabies, but their rabies is under control. You hardly ever hear of a rabies bite or anything like that. So they would allow or, uh, the European Union change the rule that there was no blood test or anything involved. It has had to have the microchip first, then the rabies shot, then a 21-day wait after the rabies shot, and you can freely travel to the European Union. And the, uh, that was the way it was in most of the European Union. Uh, United Kingdom still had the blood test uh, requirement. So a couple of years ago, United Kingdom changed it, and so they adopted the same thing as the rest of the European Union, where you know, there's no quarantine, no blood test involved, no nothing. All you have to do is have the microchip first, rabies vaccination, 21 day, a 21 day wait after the vaccination, and the pets could freely travel to the European, uh, to the United Kingdom. The only thing with England, they require a, uh, uh, for dogs to have a tapeworm treatment at a certain time, which is a pill, and there's no problem with that and everything. Now there is, there are what they consider third world countries where rabies is not under control, and I don't have that list in front of me. Right. Those countries will still require a dog or a cat to uh, have a, a couple rabies shots, a, a blood uh, rabies titer test, and then a, a certain wait of three months after the blood test, as I say, and then they, could, then they could be dispatched to the European Union or England at that point. Got it. That's wow. something we, we could research if, if we needed to sure. check different countries' requirements that way. Is there any kind of a message you'd like to give to the public as we wrap up the show? Feel free to call us or, you know, call another pet shipper if you have questions about pet travel, and then you make a decision whether you think you need a pet shipper or need any physical assistance or just some help over the phone, that type of thing, I would uh, tell people do not worry about pet travel. I, I wish I had received so many pets at, at the airport that have come from long, long distances, and when you look at them in their container or open the container, you would, have no, you, you would think that they just came from across the street or something. There is no... no no indication that they have been are stressed or under anything else. I just wish I could show that, or I could make a recording, and these pets could talk on the recording and say, "Hey, that was a fun trip." And really, I uh, you know I just can't uh, say that enough. Whenever you say, just tell them not to worry. But if you have a, an animal that's got medical problems, elderly pets, I urge people to. Uh, uh, get a very complete health certificate, health exam, including some blood work for kidney and liver functions and things like that. And uh, if they if they do have medical problems, uh, that you know indicates a little bit higher risk and everything. Would you same thing with people if they uh, if they have serious heart conditions, uh, they can also pass away on a on a flight, and that that happens every once in a while as well. I want to thank you, Jerry Mishler, for joining us. It is rainmaking time. For those of you listening, go to Action Pet Express and call Jerry Mishler at 681-252-0266.
Obviously, you can tell he knows his business, and he'd be happy to help you. Jerry, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. And I'm sure the animals thank you, too.